Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product professionals from Ibotta share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Um, so join us, grab a cup of coffee, and we're going to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Zach LaGreca. Patrick Kuchkowski. And I'm Jake Worland. So, it's the end of the year. It's that time of the year where it's the end. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think we're all doing some reflecting here at Product Coffee. Um, it feels like it's been a long year. A lot has happened. We've done a lot of things. And we wanted to, to stop and pause kind of the day-to-day uh, moving quickly, making things, shipping things, and think about what did we learn? What, you know, where did we fail? Where could we do better? Uh, so, yeah. Well, should we give a little bit of context in terms of what has changed for us over the course of the year? Yeah, that probably makes sense. Yeah. So, at the beginning of the year, for full context, we had a product team of eight. We now have a product team of 25, so we have tripled in size. We have opened a new, uh, a new group, as it were, a new product line um, that has has full that has added complexity to our product stack and our product offerings, but also added opportunities. Um, and I think really it's been a year of scaling and trying to address the challenges of a product organization and a company, for that matter that is scaling rapidly in both its abilities, its ambitions, and its execution. I think that was a really good summary. Um, I think, yeah, that complexity in the midst of scaling and growing rapidly is a fun and interesting challenge that I think uh, is exciting to be a part of, like to actually be at an organization where this type of change is happening. Um, But I feel like I'm kind of realizing why so many startups struggle and even sometimes fail because of these things is because it's really hard mm-hmm. um, when you triple your the size of your team and you introduce more complexity and more features and you're trying to coordinate more and the company gets bigger uh, it's it's hard to kind of stay aligned and make sure you're still all driving towards the same place yeah I think an interesting thing about scaling is when you're a small company you are forced to prioritize there's a forcing function there where like if you don't focus and you don't prioritize ruthlessly, the company will fail. Yeah. Whereas now, like when you're at the size and scale of Ibotta, like if you don't, there isn't that same forcing function anymore. Like you can get away with not being as ruthless, which is both a blessing and a curse. Like you have the abilities to parallelize a number of things, uh, but it also runs the risk of things getting a little bit scattered and you wind up trying a lot of things and in some nothing at all. So I think we're still trying to, as a company, figure out that balance. And I don't know if we've really found it just yet. Yeah, and it feels like this last year was really kind of the end of one product horizon and kind of the beginning of another one. Or at least not necessarily the end of that S-curve, but kind of starting to peak out a little bit. And with the very small team and that rapid growth, it introduced, introduced a lot of friction points because you had so much of 
the company fixated around the old product and how to continue to improve that, but the tech debt and the stack and all that was kind of holding us back. And so we, you know, rapidly brought in and, and grew this wealthy payments group, you know, largely thanks to Zach. Um, and so now it's like, well, we have a much more mature product or it's becoming much more mature and that could be the next product horizon. But are we really in the innovator's dilemma instead now where everyone is still really bought into the old? So it's it's interesting to experience it because I think you know we've we've all seen companies that have pulled this off like Netflix where you can imagine there was probably a time where their team was used to building shipping DVDs by mail and then they start working kind of on maybe initially what felt like a side project maybe not I have never been in Netflix but start this kind of like a streaming thing on kind of like the in parallel and mm -hmm. then eventually that becomes like the dominant business or at least very much changes their strategy yeah. um, or you think about Amazon maybe starting off as just books and expanding to pretty much everything else I think the example I always think about when it comes to this sort of thing is Trello Trello started out as fog bugs and they figured out a new technology that basically allowed them to create Trello and it became this kind of side project offshoot that just mm -hmm. took off and they're like oh this is what we should be doing. And they went from kind of like a, a bug tracking platform to a full-on productivity tool for pretty much anybody. And that was just by virtue of recognizing a new opportunity and running with it. Um, but it's risky. It's hard. Like, how do you know in the moment that that's the right thing to be doing? Like, yeah. what are the signals that you can identify? Yeah, that's a good example. The one That brought one other example to mind, and that would be Slack. And initially, yeah. they, were a, yeah. they were trying to build a video game, and that failed. They basically were about out of money and they realized this internal tool they had built for communications might be worth uh, worth something to yeah. some other people <laughs> you know obviously today Slack is a pretty widespread so who's that? Um, well yeah, this up and coming oh they're up and coming communications cool. Cool, tool cool. You, yeah, you yeah. Hear about are they them. on Product Hunt? can I see them on Product <laughs> Hunt? they might be on Product Hunt oh, okay. I'm not sure wasn't uh, WeChat the same thing? I don't know I don't, I don't know WeChat's story very well I think it was WeChat or Alibaba now. Go look it up. One of them started as a gaming company as well, and then I believe that's because Tencent has the gaming company, yeah, yeah. so I believe that's WeChat. But okay. that's yeah, what I thought. I was familiar with that one. Yeah, yeah. very much like morphed into this much greater platform, which obviously like dominates China today. Yeah. So, do you think that we here at Ibotta are we in this situation now, where we're we have all of these bets on the table, right? We have payments, we have the traditional like CPG rewards. We have mobile commerce opportunities. Like there are a lot of bets that we've placed out there. Like, are we at a point where we need? Are, are in a situation where we are trying to identify which one is kind of the next big thing for us, or are we still placing those bets to see where where we can go next? I almost feel like we're squarely in between the two. Yeah. So if, if you look at a company like Slack or even Trello, they had a core pivot where it's like they realized there's actually something else that's more valuable. Yeah. And anyway, Slack in particular was like wildly outside of the, the product sphere they were currently in. Um, I think... We might be more, and I'm not saying this to sound like to sound like we have this crazy hubris, but we might be more in more of a Netflix situation where we're identifying the future path of the industry that we yeah. think we're pretty sure it's going towards, <clears throat> and that's really where it's a, it's still a pivot in terms of what we're devoting our time to, but it's also kind of a natural convergence of two things. And so with Netflix, uh, their whole business was entertainment, shipping DVDs, uh -huh. kind of a subscription service. And what, what I think Netflix realized is this is all going to be digitized. People are going to be streaming sure. stuff. You know, 
DVDs by mail. DVDs and Blu-rays have a, a pretty limited shelf life. If we stick to this, we're going to be out of business. Yeah, I mean, they innovated by distribution, right? Yeah. Like distributing content. And that's, that's, I still think, like, if I were to come up with their mission for them, go figure, yeah. um, that's probably what it would be. Like, <laughs> to create the most innovative way of distributing the highest quality entertainment content. Yeah. Right? And I think that's, and that, that's where they identified the opportunity. And that converged with what they were already trying to do, which is to provide entertainment through a subscription service for, for movies and shows. Yeah. And I think we're kind of in a similar place where Ibotta has focused on rewards. You get cash back on items you buy every day when you take a picture of your receipt and you get money off of, you know, some of the things you bought. And I think we're kind of identifying the future of rewards and payments. Those things are converging. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we've realized. That's what other companies have realized too, is that the, the behavior of paying is very tied to how people get rewarded. And it's this overall kind of experience. And I think that's kind of the, the pivot we're seeing is how do we go that direction? Well, as a product organization, I guess, how do we allow ourselves to innovate without necessarily stifling the current product and continue yeah. to let the business grow. Because I feel like that was the challenge from a product strategy that we had this year. This year, you know, we had some changes to leadership and this and that, and as a consequence, we kind of walked into the year without a really clear-cut strategy. It was still, you know, make every purchase rewarding as a business and a lot of this other aspect. But it wasn't saying like, okay, it's all about just payments. It was like, let's do this and do this and do this and do this. And I felt like we kind of threw a bunch of dice out there to see what would fall. And we were kind of like, oh, that bet sort of worked. And now we're going to go double down versus I feel like this year we're going in with a much more straightforward strategy, which is helping quite a bit. Yeah. But in that like null zone, how do you find a strategy that in alignment to pull people in and let that innovation happen without it being like, you guys are destroying all my work that I've done, kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, there's something to be said for placing the bets, right? Like, I don't know, some famous person once said, "You don't make the shots, you don't take." Right? Like, you got to put the bets on the table and see what hits. <laughs> You're going for the Michael Jordan quote. That's it, it's Michael that. Jordan. It's what you put in the hours, you know. Uh, you um, make all those shots. <laughs> um, there's, there's definitely something to be said for that, and like to the point where we are now, like we've laid those bets out, and I think what that's helped us do is get, in a, get a read on the market, on the user, and what has traction, what has so-called product market fit, right? And we can now go double down on some of those things, and that's starting to manifest in, in the strategies that are being articulated by Ibotta leadership. I think for me, um, what, I, what I struggle with a little bit is or not struggle with, but I'm just curious to unpack, like, how do we navigate this in terms of, as an early company, you ha it's focus or die, right? Like, you are going to build this one thing, and you're going to do it well. It's like the Jimmy John's model. They had one store, one store only for a long time. They perfected the model, and then they franchised it out. Um, when you're at scale, kind of like where Ibotta is at the moment, you don't have to do that to survive, right? There's no forcing function to do that. Like, we have this luxury of being able to place a number of significant bets on the table at the same time so yeah. like what how how would you like to see us go into the new year and still maintain focus but also also putting a number of investments out there as a portfolio yeah that's a good question so a couple pieces to that i think one thing that all companies should remember is that uh, they'll all die. Not to be morbid, but right. Like, <laughs> well, sad. Everything, <laughs> everything. Wow. Everything ends. Right. No. Um. Uh, but Has it been a tough year for you? 
a lot's happened. Um, but seriously, I think what what forces extreme prioritization among startups is it, it's it's very much like you know week to week we could die this week yeah. if we don't make the right decisions. Um, but with medium to larger companies, it's it's just a slower death. Um, yeah. And if you're not making these changes and looking out on the horizon, it will come eventually, even if you have a business engine that will be able to propel you for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that can be a motivator to help think about, like, are we on the decline? like, Or are we finding the next thing that is going to keep our business relevant? How are we going to grow and evolve? Like, I think it's, it is continuous evolution mm-hmm. or slow eventual death, or maybe quick, but... yeah. So how do we as product managers ensure that we're not bleeding out? Yeah. Right? Like, how do we, from our perspective, right, there, at that point, there's a lot, obviously, like, that's why we have a C-suite, is that's kind of their job to make sure right. that they're looking out, right? How can we help inform those decisions from the ground up? Are there strategies that either of you have employed that have proven effective or helpful? I think a really good uh pulse on the customer, mm-hmm. on customers, on consumers in general in your yeah. market yeah. is the key. And that's where product largely fits in. Because yeah, the C-suite at the end of the day is going to make the bigger calls. But the product manager's expertise needs to be, what is the user, the consumer, or the desired consumer in a given market? Like, what do they really need and want? And that changes over time. And so if you're complacent about that as a product manager, if you just kind of rest on an existing product that's doing well, eventually it's not going to be meeting those needs. If you think about products that were good 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. how many of those are still equally good? Not many, right? Um, At least in like software, probably different for like some physical products, but um, cars are still good. Cars, some cars. Are still good. <laughs> yeah, Ford Pinto. By, you know, that's a great one. Uh, <laughs> um, Sorry, can of worms. Uh, yeah. Um, so I think I think that would be my thing. Is like yeah, firmly listening to the customer. It's easy to lose sight of that. And I think like the automotive industry is actually an interesting example because it's kind of what I've been, been thinking about, which is obviously listen to your customer. You know, have that that pulse on them, but. I think it is have a very good skeleton that you can change and morph and don't be wedded to like a particular yeah. specific feature. Yeah. But if you have a solid enough product that like at least people understand and have the brand presence and are like, I'm coming in and I'm solving this problem, but how we do it for them mm-hmm. may change over time is really critical. Yeah. Is it almost like the skeleton is the mission, right? Like it is the core problem that we're going out to solve. Like yeah. I bought us make every purchase rewarding, right? Like, yeah, there are a number of different, the how will change over time to your point, right? Yeah. I think it's like up to us to, to have that vision in mind. Like, yes, we'll go chase that, but always articulating new ideas for the how that's a new market conditions that's a great point and i think that comes back to what product managers should be doing which is looking for how you're solving problems for people yeah. not just designing solutions with no clear problem in mind yeah. so a, a, you know, a problem can currently be solved by a certain feature or product and that's great over time that's going especially in software that's going to change relatively quickly um so i yeah i really like that reevaluate are we still meeting our mission, or is there a better way to do that? Yep. Likely, after, if, if you're kind of um, leading a certain area of the market, eventually someone's going to disrupt that. And totally. So that's what you need to be looking for. Yeah. Yep. Well, so since we're kind of doing more reflections, um, I think this is a final talk, and we probably can unpack and bring in some other innovators. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that we are at the end of the year, 
Is there anything we would all do totally different if we we're just to start over from the beginning of the year, or lessons and mistakes that we wish we could put behind us and read to? Yeah. Um, yeah, good question. Um, so maybe we'll start with a general one I think our product organization here has seen, and then we can get into some specifics. Um, so I think one of the general problems is very much tied to what we talked about. We started the year, we had changes in leadership, we were kind of at a very uh, pivotal point in the, in the company, and so our product strategy wasn't super cohesive or clear. Meanwhile, we did have a clear mission, which was great. Um, so we had some direction, but our product strategy wasn't super firm. And I think that's something we've all learned as a team. We have a much more clear product strategy now, especially heading into next year. Um, and we have, you know, um, kind of a team built out uh, around that strategy. Um, so I think that's that's something we collectively learned is, like, we need to have a clear and cohesive product strategy uh, to take us in the direction of our mission, um, to have some guidance to our tactics. Um, yeah. Then, yeah. I know personally, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of switch from a very technical to non-technical role, or, well, not to not technical, more consumer-facing, I guess. Yeah. Um, however, as a consequence of that, it came with a great deal more visibility with the C-suite. And I know the the change that we're starting to make right now, especially with our product leadership team, is to create these kind of concentric rings or moats to help protect the product managers that are being tactical. And as a consequence, I think it lets us really innovate and own a product space really well. And I feel like in the middle of the year, especially as I was kind of transitioned, it I ran into this challenge where I had a lot of great ideas that were super tactical. And going back to this idea of strategy, I'm going directly to the CEO with like, hey, we're going to do this thing that's going to change the day-to-day -day right now. And he's already 18 months out. And so he's like, this isn't aligning with the vision and you know where we want the company to grow to. So it's like a constant balancing act between how do we execute in the now and grow the business and, and continue to ensure that we're making strides, but let yeah. the company grow and have the opportunity then to take these, you know, to put these bets down on the table. Yeah, I think that brings up a really interesting point around developing the vision, but also creating space for conversation and action to get from the present day to that vision, right? I think we as a company have done a really nice job of figuring out like where do we want to go 18 months, 24 months, 36 months from now, but what are we going to do in the next six months, next 12 months to get to that point, right? Like, can we establish that end vision a little bit earlier and solidify it a little bit earlier and say like, yes, this is where we're going, now let's go, let's go there, right? As opposed to spending as much time as we have trying to explore all the different places we could eventually go. Because I think what starts to happen when that waffles a little bit is we start, I mean, that if you don't have the, so, the solid end state, you're still, you're going to waffle even more, you're going to oscillate even more in the, yeah. in the short term. So I think there's something there to unpack a little bit more. Um, but in kind of reflecting on the year, it feels like we may have oscillated from idea to idea a little bit more than we needed to. Yeah, and I feel like that's a constant problem, especially you know, in an industry like us, um, or really if you have a founder-driven company with that sort of vision. Yeah. And so you're having a very strong, you know, leadership team helps. Um, I think the other thing that we're still kind of figuring out right now is 
what happens when you grow mm -hmm. so rapidly too. Yeah. Because the growth really didn't happen until the latter half of the year anyway. And so to go from essentially eight or nine growth to 10 the team. PMs, yeah. yeah. And technology as a whole too. Yeah. I mean, we, I don't know, it was like a hundred hires in the second half of the year in technology and product. Yeah. Um, and as a consequence, there is like a whole different dynamic. I feel like previously mm -hmm. a lot of the communication that we have could literally be, I mean, there's three of us in there, and that was a third of the product team. Like, we yeah. meet and collaborate yeah. on strategy. Yeah. And now we're having to find new ways to, to create process, to knock down barriers, to find that alignment. Yeah. And I think this was something that we've talked about over the course of the year, I think. But I bought as a company that's trying to maintain a startup identity and a startup way of doing things, move fast and break things, essentially. Hopefully minimize on the breakage, but move fast. Um but also be able to scale, right? And I think it's, it's been really interesting this year to be a part of the company as it tries to figure out how to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, we've had processes that work. We've had processes that have blown up in our faces as we try to enable the, the best work from everybody, um, which can be hard if you're kind of on that tactical level and you're like, oh, like, I get it. Like, on the aggregate, this process should help by and large, but for me in particular, this slows me down. It's yeah. like, how do we internalize or how do we accept a personal slowing down or an immediate slowing down in the teams that you work with, whereas on the aggregate, we're still moving reasonably fast? I mean, I think by framing it that way, in and of itself helps, yeah. especially to other team members. Um, I think if you can identify that as a whole, we're moving faster because of this thing, Yeah, um, that's actually a good thing because you that, that's what you can bring is reasoning for doing a certain process. I think that's when a process is working. Um, and I think then being aware of when processes aren't working as well. And so as you grow, you have to introduce new ways of working together. Otherwise, it's chaos. No one knows what anyone's doing. So you do have to do that, but you're going to get it wrong. Like like you mentioned, uh, the payments group, when it, we started this year, it was one engineering team, one product manager, myself. Now we have five product managers, um, an open slot still for another PM. Uh, I bought it.com slash careers if you're interested. Um, <laughs> we have, you know, like four or five different engineering teams. And so it's a lot more complicated to keep everybody connected and on the same page. And so we've tried a lot of things to communicate to everyone. Um, some haven't worked. Like we have this huge cross-functional meeting that used to be Essentially, my my engineering team, my, myself representing my engineering team, and a bunch of stakeholders across marketing, sales, um, things like that, and that made sense a year ago. And the past few months, it hasn't because we've had fifty to sixty attendees every time. Oh, and you know, not everyone can be fully engaged that whole time, but everyone right. wants to be in the know. Um, but you'd see some people in laptops on their room, clearly not fully engaged. Uh, sometimes people could make it, sometimes they couldn't, and they were missing updates. And so it's like. This clearly isn't working. This is too big of a meeting that not everyone can make, and it's not always useful for everyone that's here. So how do we standardize communications? How do we more regularly provide updates through email, through Slack, and other means where we set expectations for here's where this information is going to be distributed, mm -hmm. and your team leads are now responsible from these other stakeholders to, to find that information in these places. Um, so like, kind of how do we do that? But how do we not lose collaboration? Like, How do we still make sure that we have those forums for kind of serendipity through conversation with random people. I don't know that we have a perfect formula yet. I think 
the, the best thing I've learned is just keep testing and yep. don't settle with any process or with anything you're doing and expect it to change. So kind of contentious question for all of us. I know there's this concept of crossing the chasm and really how you know you become the you know five thousand pound grill in a room, but it generally requires different levels of leadership in order to go from this scale to this scale to this mm -hmm. scale. Are we kind of doing that now as PMs? Uh, because I know all of us have come from much smaller startups where you know you're the PM or one or two or three PMs. Are we unintentionally starting to move ourselves into that realm where, as the company is growing and moving? more out of this startup perspective that we aren't the right PM fit anymore? Maybe it's a different PM? Are we, are we holding things back? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Let's, let's maybe take this off air. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great question. I actually think about this a lot. Um, I think PMs can scale with a company just like founding teams can, um, but that goes both ways. I think sometimes it doesn't work. And I think, I think it's really important for product managers to be self-aware about how things are changing, um, teams are changing, the needs of a role is changing. And we've, we've alluded to this on other episodes, but the product role varies wildly. Even if you have the same title at you know, a similar company, that can entail so many different levels of responsibility, so many different things. Um, and so I think um, you know, that's, that's something to keep in mind is like, what, what is the needs of your role? Like for your team, for your product to be successful, don't look at just like the title of product manager. Like what is needed to unlock that and make it happen? Yeah. And then you have to do some thinking about, can I get there? Can I get there fast enough for my team? And if not, um, that's where you might want to start looking at how can you get help to do so? You know, maybe there's a specific aspect of that product you can work on, bring in some help. I mean, you know, uh, maybe there's ways you can learn some of those other skill sets. Yeah, I think it's it's a constantly changing environment, right? Like your autonomy is changing, the decisions you're making are changing constantly. The problems you're solving are changing, both in a good and bad way, depending on your perspective and what your expectations are for the role. So I think, yeah, it's it's a great point. Like the PM, it pretty much goes for anyone, actually, not just a PM, but That's anyone true. at a scaling company needs to be willing to reinvent themselves as the company grows and as the needs of the company changes, um, or the needs change. So yeah, I think, I think that's hard. That can be really, really hard. If, if you are used to like making very strategic do or die decisions from a product perspective for a business, and then as the company grows and that decision making still is centralized, but there are more people to execute, your role becomes a little bit more tactical, and then your like strategy goes from being business-wide to product-wide to maybe even feature-wide, right, depending on depending on your role, that can be hard. But I think there is always, the product muscles can always be worked no matter what role you're in. The consequence of your decisions may change, right? Like you may determine the trajectory of a particular feature or product and maybe not necessarily the entire business as a whole, but there are ways to progress through that and get back. Mm -hmm. If you were there before, you can get back to there, or you can start from being very tactical to being more strategic. Like, there's always a strategic decision to be made. Yeah, yeah, and I can I definitely agree with that. And I, I think it's worthwhile, especially at you know, unfortunately, I think most people hear this in the near. Uh, but you know, as you're setting your near goals and looking forward, I would take a moment to reflect on just that, where it's like, where are you now? What do you need to do to either level up your career? Mm -hmm. Or to really consider, like, 
what is the role and responsibility here versus, you know, if you're going to go to a Fortune 500 company as a PM, like, what yeah. is the skill set? Because it's going to radically differ. And I think all, having that mentality and always being, you know, cognizant of it goes a long way. Yeah, I think one thing that's still here at Ibotta, which I very much appreciate, even though the product team has tripled, is that you are still expected to articulate a strategy for your problem area. Now, your problem area may not be the biggest, but it's still a problem area that you own, and you're expected to be the expert in that problem space, which, at least from like a professional development and opportunity perspective, a, a growth as a product manager perspective, uh, it's valuable. It's really valuable. I mean, it helps us all get better. Yeah. So I feel like we've gone from what is a, a company's you know horizon and how yeah. do you like grow a product and get through that S curve and then it's kind of the same thing now with how do you do the same as your career where, where it's yeah. the horizon yeah so. and I think one of the, the key themes I'm hearing for both is like this awareness and awareness whether it's for self or for an organization takes regular time and thought to be put into it to understand where you're going how does that tie in with the rest of the industry or how does that tie in with the organization you're in yeah. the skill sets you have so yeah take take that time to reflect and, and make sure you don't stop doing that because that's going to help you identify if you're the right fit if you're in the right place but also maybe find other opportunities that might that might also be good for you yeah i think one thing that i've really learned this year as the team has grown is that it's very important to make sure you're joining the conversation um, are you putting ideas out there? Are you establishing opinions and positions on things? Like, make sure you're a part of the conversation because the conversation is going to go on no matter what, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's there's some element, rightly or wrongly, and this would be a really interesting discussion to have, is, is if this is a good thing or a bad thing for a product development organization. But um, making sure that you are adding something to the discourse is very helpful for you, for your problem space, and probably eventually for your career as you are exposed to that conversation and play an active role in it. Um, you'll just get better at it too. Yeah. But I guess broader question is like, is that healthy to have to to have to be very proactive in contributing to the conversation? I mean, as I think, opposed to people coming to ask you. Yeah, and I think it goes both ways. Um, I think if you're part of those conversations and you're thoughtful and show showing others that you're a domain expert yeah. and even if you're just someone that can they can come to with ideas people will seek you out yeah um, and oftentimes it means that you're not having to inject yourself or frankly i think it can be exhausting if you're having to be part of every conversation yeah so kind of totally. once you have the domain ownership you can kind of narrow the focus mm-hmm. um and it'll kind of like anything i can give and take and give and take yeah yeah um Cool. I think I'll throw out one last thing I learned uh, before we can kind of start wrapping things up, and that would be as you're, as you're building new things, um, think about the cost of, of foundational trade-offs. And what I mean by that is we, like, building a new product this year, we made some trade-offs for some key foundations uh, needed for this to be a robust product. And we kind of knew those trade-offs going into it, but what I think was kind of a miss for me is understanding the cost of not having that at a later point. Um, and so if you're not going to have a particular part of the product, particular um, you know, detail, detailed analytics, or you're missing certain foundational architecture that's going to slow something down, that may not hinder the user experience to a point where it's a problem. And you may still be able to achieve some of your maybe consumer side goals, uh, but there may be a cost to that later. And so that's, I think, something I've learned is try to 
anticipate the costs of your decision. Um, so, yeah, I think that's kind of the wrap for 2019. I believe this is the last recording we'll do this year. Um, and I, I think that kind of brings us to the fact that we also started a podcast this year as we promised. <laughs> that was cool. <laughs> so, I, I think... Uh, it's been fun, but that, that's it. We're closing up shop. No, I'm just kidding. We'll be back, we'll be back next year. Um, but I think, uh, is there anything you've learned running a podcast for the past nine months? Like, make sure the, the person who's, you know, mixing and doing the design or the, in the production effort is really solid, which we do have, <laughs> um, but also help more. <laughs> yep. So. It's work, you know, it, it's not going to run itself. I think is yeah. what you learn. You know, it's like running, we don't really, it's not quite a small business, but there are a lot of similar elements where it's like, yeah, yeah. it's not going to, it's not going to grow itself. It's not going to make itself. Yeah. Um, there's a commitment to it and there's a commitment to growing it and it, it can be what you want it to be. Right. Like we have done a number of, of live recordings. Like we had to go out and get those. Right. And we had to go, we wanted to go do that because it, we thought it would bring value to the, greater Denver product community and hopefully they have knock on wood listeners tell us if we're wrong and we'll go away um, but those are things like we we had to go out and do that so it's 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 an interesting and it's a valuable lesson I think and like if you have a vision go go chase it and cool things can happen yeah I agreed I think it, it it's taken perseverance like like a small business or like running a product we have to think about this multiple times every week we record every week we have to produce every week figure out when we're launching those things, how we promote that, live events we've done, and people we've had on the podcast to interview. Um, and it's it's a lot of work thinking of topics, thinking of discussion points around those, coordinating amongst our now product team of 25 or so people, uh, many of whom have been on the podcast this year, which has been amazing. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of work, and I think there are a lot of parallels to what we do in product. So um, it's been fun. Um, and thanks to all our listeners for sticking with us through this year and listening to our podcast. We'll be back next year with many more topics, more interviews, uh, more content. So thanks for listening. Um, your homework is to reflect on the year. Uh, find uh, one big thing, one big lesson learned that you could improve and how you would do that differently. Um, and then try and apply that as a lens for your, your plans for next year. So thanks for listening. Now go level up. <laughs> here, Kevin. We're starting here. Uh, just kidding. Here. Now, actually, I need to adjust the dial. Adjust that dial. Is it adjusted? Uh, you did it the wrong way. Oh, snap. Do we all sound like we're speaking with helium? <laughs> speaking with helium. Welcome to Product Coffee, where we are all drunk. <laughs> Super fine grain. See how that one sounds. See, it's funny because you just look and see like they're recording it. Yeah, it's funny because I didn't. I don't feel like I adjusted it that much on the dial. But it like somehow is resulting. Somehow. In see, there you go. Yeah, so that looks about right. That looks better. Okay. Kevin, I know we've led you astray multiple times. This is the real starting point. This is it.